secrets of success. All right, what's up, everybody? This is Russell Brunson. Welcome back to the Secrets of Success Members Only Podcast. Uh, today's episode is one that is really cool. So a lot of you guys know who Tony Robbins is. Tony Robbins is um, literally a giant, uh, but he also is the person who I think has, has helped more people in this personal development journey than probably anyone in the world. Um, he is one of the ones who got me on this path. Uh, literally, my wife and I have been married about seven years. We're struggling in our marriage, and Tony is the one who helped fix me so I could fix our marriage. Tony is someone who I love as a friend, as a mentor, and um, I've had some really unique, rare experiences with him. I've had a chance to to be in Fiji with him at his, his private residence there. I've had a chance to, um, you know, to be a business partner with him. I've, I've had chances to talk to him on the phone. I've had some really unique experiences with him. And the first question people always ask me is like, is, is he, you know, is he who he is on, in real life? Is he the same on, as on uh, whatever? I'm like, yeah, Tony's Tony's the same everywhere. He's an amazing human being who I love and I respect and I'm grateful for. But anyway, I've had a chance now, I think four times to do interventions with Tony. Um, and each one's been unique and different. The first two were very much me asking him questions about business and him doing interventions with me. And this last one was um, um, about a year into my journey of creating secrets of success. And you'll hear this in the question and the answer. Like I was flying around, I was buying these old books and like, you know, starting to curate what has now become secrets of success. And I, and and I told him, I was like, you know, right now I'm buying all these things from these people who have passed away. And I'm like, right now I have this chance to be at the feet of you who, you know, of all the people I'd be studying, you'd be the one I'd be most excited to study had, you know, if you were, you know, 200 years ago, if that's when you lived, but you're here and I could ask you my questions, like why you're here in front of me, which is so exciting and so cool. And, uh, and then I asked him, like, I'm like, this is what I'm doing. Like, and I have some gaps in my understanding. I can't figure out how this works and this works. And like, let me, give me some feedback on these different pieces. And he kind of joked, he's like, well, that's literally my you know, five-day event called Date with Destiny. And want me to just give you Date with Destiny? And I was like, yes, please. So he spent over an hour on that question, just going deep. And it was, it was amazing. God, it was amazing. Uh, I'm not going to lie. One thing in the very beginning he talked about, like he does not like the word success. He's like, ah, oh, success is like something people use in the 80s. Um, and so I wanted, I wanted to caveat that because as you guys know, as we launched Secrets to Success in module number one and also in module number one of the Members of the Podcast, I, I gave success a definition. Success was not achievement. Um, the definition was success equals achievement plus fulfillment. And so um, through that lens of like what success is, um, it, success is figuring out the the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment, having both those things together, that's what success actually equals in my mind. So that's the, the equation that we're working towards. So um, I haven't told Tony that part yet, but um, I've justified it in my brain. So if you're like, he says it's like success, what 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 is Russell going to do? Well, that's how I that's how I rationalized in my head. So <laughs> anyway, so with that said, this is um, my intervention with Tony Robbins. So far, nobody else has uh, really heard this. Um, and so I hope that it's something you enjoy, that you, yeah, I hope it's something that that uh, it's beneficial for you as well. So with that said, here's my intervention with Tony Robbins. Thank you for doing this. Like, of course. I know, uh, I told Dean a little bit about this. I've gone on an obsession over the last 12 months. I've bought about $6 million in old first edition books. And I'm reading these books from these amazing people who have passed on. And it's just been such a cool experience there. And then to have a chance to sit at your feet and like do this while you're here and alive and like, in real time. I'm not going very soon. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) But man, it's just like, I I wish I could do this with every one of my mentors and idols and people I've looked up to. It's just such a special thing. So, um, okay. So my question for you is different than the last two years. Um, and the last years have been super helpful. Um, last year we talked a lot about ClickFunnels 2.0, which we are now in beta and we're getting close to rolling it out. And so everything's going great there. Um, but the first year in Fiji, I asked you a question about, about should I sell or what should I do? And I remember one of the things you asked me was like, well, what would you do if you did sell? Like, what, do you have something else? And I was like, I had nothing else. And so that's something for a long time that's been going through my head. And I think over the last year or so, as I've been buying these old books, I've been going deeper into this stuff. It's become this new passion of mine. I'm really excited. And, and I'm working on my first book that's, that's around success and around these kind of principles. Um, from all the people, you know, most of them have passed on and, and then just people I've learned from, and so I have a question specific to like what I'm writing about that I'd love to just kind of pick your brain on a little bit. Um, and it has a lot to do with, obviously we have our conscious minds, but the, the deeper parts are subconscious mind, right? These patterns that we have in our life. And I was never aware of any of my patterns. I don't think until I was at UPW the first time. And this was the first time I became aware of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like there's these things that I'm doing that I have no idea I'm doing. And you made me aware of it. And then from there, I've had a chance to figure out how to change things. And it's been super helpful, but there are a lot of things like even though I'm aware of them I don't know 
how to change them. Or as I get deeper into like studying this and learning, I'm learning there's all the different parts of the subconscious mind and how to change them and shift them are different. And there's how do I shift them for myself? How do I shift them for my, for my kids? How do I make those shifts for people I'm serving? Like, and so, um, that's kind of my question is just as we're dealing with some of the parts of our subconscious mind, specifically like, um, our values, our identities, our beliefs, our needs, like our meaning makers, like all those kind of things inside of there. As I'm studying this, it's like they're different how we shift them, different how we identify them, and I'm trying to really piece those pieces together. And I'd love to get just your thoughts on how do we how do we change all those different pieces? How do we or how do we become aware of them so we can change them? And then how do they like each one we change differently, right? We change beliefs differently, might change values or identity. Well, how to change them isn't necessarily different, but you have to be aware of how they interact so you know what to shift. So you basically want me to give you a date with destiny in one question here, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have five days, <laughs> seven days. Um, well, I'd like to plant a seed with you on something, just for you to consider. I don't know if it's right or not. You use the word success. I think it's a really outdated word. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's real, it'll be really outdated by the time you finish the book. Because, you know, you and I talked about this the other day. You know, it's like, first of all, I don't, I don't use that word very much ever. Because to me, it's like, what the fuck is success? To me, it's love, it's growth, it's contribution, it's family, it's, you know, it's abundance, it's making a difference. Success is a made-up word. And so what I tend to focus more is on, like, I, I think of success, success is getting what you want. Fulfillment is living what you're made for. And fulfillment, I think, is what people are hungry for. I think, I think you're going to be coming out with a book on the wrong title <laughs> in the middle of, especially, will you give the example you and I were talking about the other day? You shared with them when you were doing your real estate business, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Would you share that with them? Well, I think the world be... shifted about the, yeah. yeah I, I shared that with them on our, uh, two days ago about oh, the did. Titanic, right? Mm-hmm. About the shift of, you're yeah. talking about when the world shifts and yeah. rather than wanting aspiration, they want life preservers. That's right. And so you, I, I think what, what's everlasting is fulfillment. Success comes and goes. Success is the 1980s focus. And I know a lot of people you're studying will probably use that word, so you'd probably move in that direction. But if there's anything that I've learned in my life is when the life conditions change, so must your blueprint. It's probably the most important understanding of life. If you keep approaching life with the same blueprint, the blueprint is what basically did with destiny is. It's the beliefs, the values, the rules that guide all your decision-making. Like what controls your life? Decisions. We're all talking about decisions right here, decisions about what you're going to believe, decisions on what you're going to go for, decisions on how you're going to live. Your life is controlled by your decisions, and decisions are fathered or mothered by your blueprint. Your blueprint is your model of the world, the way you look at life. Everyone in this room has had different life experiences and references, and from those references, you know, two people can have the same references and come up with a totally different meaning. And meaning is what changes everything. The most important decision is what do things mean. If you had to master one thing, it's master the meaning maker inside you. Because two people got the same experience. One person says, my life is over, my career is over, I just lost my job, or whatever it is. And somebody else says, f*** you, they fired me. Warner Brothers did, so I'm starting Hanna-Barbera. The two of us are going to start our own cartoon business, and we're going to crush Warner Brothers, which they did. Right? It's meaning. Is this the end or the beginning? That's the most important decision. So, you know, I always teach three decisions control your life. And that's where I would start with this. It's like every moment of your life has been controlled by three decisions. One is, what are you focusing on? And all three people I've talked to here so far, it's really the first thing you need is a change of focus. From what I don't want to what I do want. From like, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to keep using that old fuel to this is what I'm going to do. I don't want to feel guilty, but I, you know, I don't want to keep putting the accelerator on and drop it back. I, I know I need to work out, but I'm not. So the first question is, what are you going to focus on? Because what do you focus on, you feel. So when you focus on what you're not doing, it actually makes it less like you're going to work out because it becomes like a chain. And then after a while, it becomes identity, which is really hard to break. Identity is the way you identify who you are, your labels of who you are. So what are you going to focus on? Second decision is what does it mean? When you focus on something, your brain's got to immediately come up with a meaning. Is this the end or the beginning? Is this person dissing me? Are they challenging me? Are they coaching me? Are they loving me? If you think they're dissing you, and you're from the streets, that could end up with violence. If you think you're coaching me, depends on who you are, it might work. Who the fuck are you to coach me? If you think you're loving me, holy shit, that's a different emotion. 
So the meanings are what control everything. Is, is this happening right now, this situation with the WEF saying, by 2030, you're going to own nothing and you're going to be happy, right? You know, these people who are letting 2 million people across the border, uh, and many of which don't have, not only not many jobs, many of which are criminals, not all, and some of which are in survival, and some are going to be paying off the people that dragged them across here by selling drugs or selling their bodies. Or we're sitting in a situation where we're inflating our dollars to where they're worth not, they're virtually nothing. You look at that and go, God is punishing us all. That's what some people come up based on their model of the world. Somebody else says, no, we've exhausted a system and we need to upgrade it. Somebody else says, no, this is a season if you study history. It happens about every 80 years, like clockwork. If you study 1,000 years of Roman history, which I've done 500 years of Anglo-American history, you see this pattern again and again. But whatever meaning you create, that's your life. You do not experience life. Please jot it down. I don't experience life. I experience the life I focus on and the meanings I give it. That's your life. You can be without anything in Fiji and be very happy. And I used to think, well, that's it's good. Look at the weather. There's food everywhere. You can walk down the street and have bananas. You know, so they're so where it is. I remember asking this guy, why are Fijians so happy? He goes, well, we love the sunshine. I was like, of course. He goes, and we love the rain. <laughs> we love this and we love that. And he goes, you know, I think Fijians are the happiest people in the world. And he goes, because I've never been anywhere else. <laughs> right? You know, and had the best time, right? It's like their model of the world. And he said, well, what about the bad times? He said, oh, we keep no records of the bad times. Isn't that interesting? A completely different model of the world produces people that are happy. Every child is carried for the first six months of their life by someone holding them, someone in the village, 24 hours a day, someone's holding you, except when you're sleeping and you're sleeping beside someone. They learn to sing in four-part harmony by the time they're five years old, four to five. Singing transforms your life. Most of us love to sing, but don't do it around anybody else because we judge or others have judged how we do. So their model of the world creates a very beautiful life, and it has nothing to do with anything. I remember when I first went there, and a friend of my buddies was like, i got to buy this piece of land. I, gotta do, I was doing the same thing. I'll do this, do this, this. And I would listen to these CGN guys talk about it, and they're laughing. And he goes, well, what are you going to do when you build all that? He goes, well, I'm going to lie on this beach and enjoy it. And the CGN's like, well, why don't you do that now? <laughs> right now. It's just because this person has a model of the world that says, i got to do all these things before I can enjoy myself. So your, your world, your life, your experience, whether you're fit or fat, whether you're feeling pulled in two different directions, whether you're driven but you're afraid to do something, whether you're, you're in the greatest place of your life and you want to give back, whatever it is, it's all controlled by your model of the world. So what is your model of the world? And third decision, by the way, first is focus. Because right now there are millions of things happening in this room that you're not noticing. There's atoms moving around. There's conversations in people's heads. There's so much going on right now. But your brain can only consciously focus on a small number of things. So you do not experience life. You focus the part of life you focus on. This table looks solid, but we all know from physics it's not. Nor is this floor. But we have to have some way to control so we don't freak out and have some certainty so we limit our experience. Your brain is a deletion, distortion, and generalization device. That's your consciousness right now. You delete most of what's going on. You go crazy. If you had to notice every time your clothing touched you, or the blood move through your left eardrum, or your heartbeat, you go stark raving mad. So you delete it. And for you to be pissed off, for you to be guilty, to be a little worried about, I don't want to go back that way, for you to not be as fit as you want, you have to delete all the good things you're doing to feel bad. And for you to feel good, you've got to delete all the bad things that you do. And most of us generalize or distort. Oh my God, this is the worst thing that ever happened. Really? Is it really? This relationship I have is toxic. Really? This is just cultural bullshit. Really, if you define problems where they're impossible to solve, you will be right. How about you had a bad hour? You had a, you had a bad evening. That's not the end of your relationship. But when people define things in a way that is so generalized and distorted, then you can become the hero if you come solve it for the moment. But you haven't done shit but create more problems. And most people are addicted to drama. Who goes to a movie that starts like this? Everybody's happy. The main protagonist is super happy, super healthy, great relationships, totally healthy. And then about halfway through it, they're healthy, happy, totally in love. And at the end, they're totally healthy, happy, in love, and abundant. Who's going to go to that picture? Nobody. So most people want drama. 
Drama is interesting. It's called conflict. But see, I like the waves here. I could have lived on the western side of this state. There's not a lot of waves. It's more relaxed. But I like the conflict between the wind and the water. It creates ripples that I enjoy. If you and I go on a teeter-totter and we sit across from each other and say, okay, life's about balance. So let's balance this thing. Well, it won't take long for us to figure out how to balance this teeter-totter. Then what the fuck are you going to do? How long are we going to sit here without somebody finally jerking this thing around just to feel alive? So you ought to be aware of your own model of the world and what it makes you do and how it makes you look at the world because your experience of the world is not the world. It's your experience of the world. And you want other people to have the same, but maybe it's better for you to try to get closer to what's real, which is less distorted, less generalized, less deleted. How do you do that? You need to re-engineer. You need to say how the life conditions change and how to make a blueprint that works. So when I say re-engineer, think of it this way. Uh, you see the Baja, what is it, like 1,000, they go 1,000 miles. Or what's the one they do in the desert where like 79 people have died over the last five years? Yeah. For you to go in these giant sand dunes and survive, you took your normal truck or car, you're dead. You got to do these special wheels. You guys got that? You can throw it up there, man. I think I got those three examples. It's like the, the, the car, the 9,300 miles in 12 days. It's unbelievable. Well, Beaumont's 24 hours. The Baja, 1,000, six days race, right? All these people die in these things. But look at these trucks. They are not your standard truck. Look at the one for the Dakar. That's unbelievable. You know what they have? They have these giant, you'll see in the front there, it's like the exhaust goes up through here because when you get in the sand, you can't get any air to the engine. The engine just shuts off. So how can they go in these environments that are so hostile and succeed because they re-engineered those trucks and cars? You need to re-engineer your own blueprint. Boom, 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 boom. All of us. That's why I wanted to give even those guys, the 100 here, a little seed planting because the life conditions are about to change a lot. And you can do extremely well, but not with your old blueprint. And what happens when you get in a relationship? You had a blueprint that was for one person, and now you meet another person you totally love and adore, and they have a different blueprint for parts of things. Certain things you're aligned on, certain things you aren't. And that creates friction sometimes and conflict. But you can retool yourself so it doesn't feel like conflict. You just learn how to structure it with new beliefs. So what is that? Well, I look at it as three chunks. Will you throw them up like when I show a date with destiny? That'll show an example. I look at where do I want to in- so look at my blueprint. I look at three ways. One is what's in my mind, what's in my body, and what's in my spirit. Can you guys throw that up there? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I talking to myself? <laughs> I hope so. Thank you. Coming. Great. So... This is like the most basic thing that I do for a date with destiny to give people an overview of what we do in six days. I'm not going to give you six days right now. But there's these three areas of life. If I want to improve my life, where can I go? I can go to my mind, my body, or my spirit. And I teach people within those, you see some symbols within them. So let's just take one of those. Let's take the mind because it's the one that drives most people. You take the mind one and blow it up for me. Just show me that one. So the mind is made up of three parts for me. What I want to know Like, if you look at a story, if you watch a book, read a book or watch a movie, there's a story there. What makes the story begin? How does the story begin? It begins with a main character, and it begins with desire. Jot it down. Desire is the drive of your entire life, and everyone has some desire. Some want to be enough. Some want to be king. Some want to survive. Some want to be close to God. Some want to have beautiful families. What are your driving desires? Because your entire life story is driven by that. And by the way, your desire was at one stage your life was one thing. Next stage is something else. And that's a good thing, but you've got to update. So what's the driving desire? And what I'm looking for is deeper than desire is what do you need. So you know I teach six human needs. And those who know it, there's six of them. There's the need for certainty. Everybody has it. Certainty you can avoid pain, that you can have some pleasure that you can at least be comfortable. Everybody has that need. There's a need for uncertainty, for variety. If you're totally certain what's going to happen, what's going to happen all the time, you go start raving mad. You'd be bored. Too much variety, you freak out. Too much certainty, you're pissed off and bored. Is the middle balance it? No, it's learning how to use both. There's a need for significance, to feel unique, to feel special. There's a need for love and connection. Most people settle for connection because love scares them because if it goes away, it's so painful, so they settle for crumbs of connection. Those first needs are the basic needs. The spiritual needs are five, you've got to grow. And six, you've got to contribute beyond yourself or life isn't meaningful. 
you can, everybody fits the first four needs, even if they lie to themselves or work 20-hour days. But if you don't feel like you're growing in your relationship or your business or your life, you will feel dead inside. And you grow, so you have something to give beyond yourself. So something feels meaningful. I don't just mean money. I mean you've got wisdom. You've got emotion. You've got caring. You've got insight. And you've spent your whole life doing those two. That's one of the reasons you're very fulfilled. So the difference in people's lives, at first I want to know what's their target. Because everybody has the same six, but what's different is the center isn't the same for everybody. Right? Some people think the center is certainty. So if you're driven by certainty, you're going to live your life very differently than if you're driven by love. Or if you think significance is the most important thing. And today in our culture, certainty and significance are the driving force, bar none, by about 80% of the population. And a huge part of that is social media. It's always been there, but it's been magnified through the roof. People go to my buddy's gym, and they lay out all the stuff and take all their pictures, and then they get up and leave and don't work out, and they just post it all. That's how fucked up it is now. People post locations they've never even been in and act like they've gone there on vacation. I mean, this is crazy. And then other people who don't know someone else try to destroy other people and prove that they're better at virtue signaling because there's two ways to be significant. One is work your ass off and keep growing, and the other one is burn down everybody else so you look taller. And you can do that with no consequence today. So those two needs are the driving force of our culture. It's where almost all the problems come from. Osama bin Laden, driven by certainty, uncertainty, significance, love, growth, or contribution. What would you say? Quick. Significance. Say it out loud. Significance. Significance. He was one of 26 children. He had to find some way to stand out. He didn't give a shit about Islam. He was never religious. But get what? He went to Afghanistan, and he had his dad's money, and he bought weapons, and suddenly he was a king. He was a significant man. And by the way, he didn't fly into a plane and risk his life. Fuck no. He was a coward. He got other people to do it and felt significant because he made them do it. Firemen were also going into that building that day, men and women and policemen, and they lost their lives. Many of them knew they could lose their lives, and they did it. Why? To have a significant life. The only difference is that it's the same need. It's what are your rules for meeting the need. Some people it's to cause other people to die, and the other is to cause other people to live. So we get a whole discussion just about these, but when you change the sequence of these, you change completely the direction of your life. If I'm going for certainty, I'm moving this direction. If I'm going for variety, I'm going this direction. And direction will ultimately determine your destination or destiny. So your model of the world, to answer your question, starts with which of these needs do you value at the highest? The top two determine your direction. I call them the primary drivers. So I got to know what's driving you. You tell me your desires. So someone says to me, I want to win an Academy Award. I want to win four Emmys. I want to win Grammys. I want to be a billionaire. Quick, what need is driving them? They don't even have to tell me. Know about their desires. What need? Quick. Significance. Significance. Nothing wrong with that. But those are all my clients, the ones that have done it. Because what they really want is love and a sense of contribution to meaning, but they don't know it. They think if they're significant enough, people will love them. But when you become significant, one of the disappointments you'll discover is that after a while, it gets very f***ing old. In the beginning, it's really beautiful. But for a lot of people, it's old because they say to me things like, you know, actors, actresses, singers, you know, entertainers that are the best in the world. The common thing they'll tell me is these f***ing people, they don't even know who I am. They just want to take a picture. They interrupt before I even eat. Now, I get all those same interruptions, but my attitude's different about it. It's all. I have a different perception and procedure. Mine is, listen, this is not a price to pay. This is a gift. Because of this, I can help millions of people because millions of people are open to it because I'm a brand and I'm, quote, somewhat famous around the world. But for them, they're angry because they thought, if I'm significant, everyone's going to love me. And when they find out is they're on the cover of People and someone's tearing them down and BuzzFeed. And they're, I mean, that's what goes with the territory. We love to build people up and take them down because the need for significance. What they wanted was love, but they went for significance, and that's why they're empty. Make sense? So we could spend 20 minutes or two hours on that, but what you got to start with is if you want to change your life, you got to change your blueprint. you got to update it. Of course it's going to be certainty at some stage in your life. When you're living in the park and you're like, I'm going to find a way, and then it's, I want to become significant. Of course it is. Well, how could it be anything else? But the fuel can change if you're going to go on a different terrain, if you're going to run a different kind of race, the one that you're now matured into. I did a different kind of fuel. Now maybe it's love, maybe it's contribution, maybe it's growth. And I'm significant too, but not first, because then you're always competing with other people in your mind versus who you are and what you're capable of. 
And that's the only thing that sustains. And besides that, then all you got to do is shrink. You can always be the most significant one. Just compare yourself to assholes, right? And everybody's an asshole if you want them to be. To make yourself feel better. So that's the place you start. So in the second part in that, and this is this box of your mind, is what's governing your decisions. They determine if you are certainly driven, you know where the exits are in this room. If you're adventure driven, you don't have a clue. You just know you're, you'll figure it out when it's time. Literally, your entire world is controlled by what you focus on, the meanings you give, and the decisions of the actions you're going to take. But those actions are shaped by the meanings. If you're pissed off, you're going to take different actions than if you're feeling grateful. So the second part that controls this is, okay, I have these needs. Osama bin Laden may have had the same need as a police officer, but he behaved differently. Why? Because they have different beliefs. So I'll give you this real fast. These are the seven beliefs. So first is a global belief. So if I asked you, here's an example of a global belief, a belief that affects your whole life. What's life about? What's life for? Why are we here? Me? Yeah. Uh, and while he's answering that, I want you to all answer it for yourself too. Because I bet we won't all say the same thing, which is beautiful. What's life about? Why are you here? What's it for? For me, it's to come here to have a family and be able to return back to my Heavenly Father someday with them. It's beautiful. What's death for? What's what? what is death? It's By the way, before he answers, answer in your mind. If death is the end, you look at life very differently than if death is a new beginning or there's another level or there's other lives. There's so many different beliefs, right? It controls everything. It controls even the way you think about your intimate relationships. Do you get this little puzzle piece? Go ahead. Death for me is a chance to return back to God and once again be with my family and all the people. So as long as he holds that with certainty inside himself, not just a concept, and I know he does, he really doesn't have much fear of death. He wants to stay here while he's here, but won't be afraid of it. Somebody else thinks at the end, it's stark, raving, scary for them. It's not life that's making them scared. It's their beliefs about life or lack thereof. What's another global belief? What's abundant? Everyone answer this question. First gut response. What's abundant? Instead of you, tell me what's abundant. I'll start with him, I'll come to you next. What's abundant in your life? What's scarce? What's scarce? It's hmm. interesting. Maybe there's more self-love there be different experience of time because what is time look at these things you don't even think about that control you this is your model of the world I'm just opening a few pieces for you I'll give you a clue time is emotion what sure I'll tell you why how long's a long time how long's a long time someone tell me raise your hand how long's a long time what's your first gut reaction how long's a long time Something you want to be over. How long is a long time? Depending on the activity. Depends on activity. If you hate what you're doing, a, long, a minute can feel like a long time. If you love what you're doing, how many can go for hours and shit? Time flies, right? But if I asked you, how much is a long time? Watch this. Just generally, how much is a long time? Give me a time frame. I'm sorry, what? It's a feeling. That's right. I agree it's a feeling. But let me go back to the way people think of it traditionally. How much is a long time? Ten days? Someone else. Who's got a different answer? Ten hours. Ten days? Someone else. How much is a long time? What's that? A lifetime. Some people tell me a long time is a century. Some people say a long time is 20 years. Some say it's ten days. Some say it's ten hours. Some say it's ten minutes. How will that affect your relationship, the way you look at your business, your finances, your happiness, or lack thereof? I can change any one of these with you, and your whole fucking life starts to change. Because when you drop into a global belief, when you drop that stone in the pond, it has a processional effect. So global beliefs, go back to the seven. 
global beliefs by themselves. I can change one or two of those and you have a processional effect. I usually have people change about a half dozen of them. I don't tell them what to change. I'm discover them. And the way you discover them is you ask questions that most of you don't ask. Most of you go through your life on automatic pilot. About 48%, depending on whose study you read, of what we do as humans every day is automated. It's habit. What's great about that? You don't have to think about it. What's bad about that? You don't think about it. So driving a car is habit. That's kind of nice because then you can focus on other things simultaneously. Hopefully not reading text, but other things. Right? But if you have to think about everything before it happens, you can only do so many things. So it's great to have something's automated. But what's unfortunate is you've automated your life condition, or your blueprint, and the life conditions have changed. So if you don't re-engineer it, you're going to run into some problems on some of them. Some of them you're going to want to keep forever. Some of them you might want to model from somebody else. As long as time is scarce and self-love is scarce, you're not working out. And you're going to want to drink. When you drink, what happens to time? Flies. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, another question for you. Let's see. Uh, let's take one more global belief. How about... You know, Tone, before you get to that, Yes. I just want to, without... Re- sharing because we get to talk and Russell's a dear friend and he shared some stuff in your personal life and you have to share it here. But I, I couldn't help but to share if you think about what Tony's talking about today with some of the things going on in your life is if you look at your global belief of what you shared, God going back to heaven, your family together. What happens when think, one of your kids doesn't share that belief? And then you... How much does that torture you? And then focus on it and what is your belief, belief about that action and then you focus on what could go wrong rather than what could go right. And I, I don't want to re- share that's really personal, but um, I talked to Tony about it because he's my dear friend and he loves you too. But just think about how deep that goes and how hard it is to make certain decisions because that is who you are as a man. That is your belief and you want what's best for him. But it's that global belief and is there a way to alter that outcome and look through a little bit different lens and maybe focus on where he could go rather than maybe feeling what could go wrong. What's right for my kids? What's wrong for my kids? So, I, you know, I have five kids and five grandkids. So I've learned a few things along the way by pain and joy. So I know my youngest, uh, second youngest, I should say now, um, Jarek. Um, I mean, he grew up with his mother, completely different value system, no work ethic. Used my name for everything, manipulated everything. You and I have shared those stories before. And yet, I was always thinking, what the f- if I die? This kid, money won't make him better. He'll just be more f***ed up. He hasn't learned the most basic lessons. He hasn't learned what, the essence of what I think serving God is. is about service to humanity. It isn't just about your f***ing self. And I would be so freaked out about it inside. And then we'd have these come to Jesus meetings. And, you know, it's like, you know, we need to talk. Those the phrase no one wants to hear. No man wants to hear, at least, right? And so, you know, we go through all this shit. And one day, after trying to figure all the ways, I'm like, I can help everybody else. All my other kids. How come this one freaking kid? He's a good kid. He has new drugs. This, he's got a good heart. He's a great contributor. But I had this fixed idea what he had to know, believe, and live by in order to have a great life because I know that works so well for me and so many people I know. And then one day I asked myself, what if this conflict is here so I can learn a lesson? What if God was sending me a lesson? What is it that I'm not getting from my son that I need to learn? And some of you, you know, because I've shared the story with you, but it's like, I finally was like, what is he really good at? It's like, chilling. That is his number one skill set, chilling. I'm not a chiller. I didn't even know what chilling was. To me, chilling is f***ing disgusting shit. And then I was like, he's really good at chilling. It's like, you know, what, what my thing, I've got to add value every moment, blah, 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 blah. It's beautiful. I love what it's created in my life. I love who I've become. I love who I've gotten to serve. I love all the love I get from all the people. I've helped millions of people around the world. It's pretty unbelievable. Prospered in every way, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, socially, financially, everything you can imagine. So I know all that's great. But he's not me, and he doesn't have to be. He has his own path. And if I really believe in God, he'll be guided to it. But it may not be on my timetable. And what could he teach me? Well, my extreme is create all these good things, but what if you keep doing that all the time? If COVID hadn't happened, I probably would have died a lot younger. Because I'd go up until COVID, 115 cities, like clockwork every year, 12 to 16 countries, 
I mean, I've lived my whole life as a nomad. I've been home more times in the last two years than I've been in 40 years. Right? And I'm helping more people reach. So thank God, God entered in and I figured out how to use the messages to do something different. So I still get to do those things. But I can have my daughter because of this because I didn't want to have a daughter who was living on the road again at this stage of life. Like all this beauty came because I trusted in something greater. And with my son, it's like, okay, you know, maybe he doesn't have to earn it all. Maybe it's okay that he doesn't have my work ethic. My work ethic requires a huge amount of demand that is probably not in his nervous system. He's wired differently than I am. If you know Chinese uh, essentials or essence, they have these different forms of wood and water. And they're very different. It really helped me. It was like my son is very water. Like I'm wood. I burn through, break it through, make it happen. I got fire in me. But he's more like, do, 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 do. He's this kind of thing, you know? It's like, no, he's not. He wants, a, he wants his own. This is what he wanted. I'm my jet, my island, all that shit. Well, I didn't grow up with a jet or a f-ing island. He grew up around those things. So it's like, and I was worried. He's going to think that's just how life is. Well, guess what? He got married and found out, you know, he had lots of things to improve. And now he gave me a grandson. He has a son. He's a father. And he doesn't make, you know, $100,000 a year, maybe max. He doesn't have a jet. And he's learned to adjust and he's shifted. But I stopped trying to change him. And I asked him, how do I chill? And I developed some chilling skills. They're about 10% chilling skills. My wife's grateful for those. And my son, ironically, without me saying shit when I stopped pushing on him constantly about what he had to do, because I was worried about him, he developed a work ethic. Now, it's not as insane as mine, but it's fantastic for what he does. He moved to Puerto Rico, and his taxes are low, and he lives on the beach, and he paid a small amount for a house, and, you know, and he's got his kid there and his wife, and they're having a good time. And, and then you know, Success Magazine wanted me to be the editor-in-chief, and I said no, and so they hired my son. It was a little obvious reason why I had no background, no experience. And at first I was like, what the f***? Here it is again. I was like, f*** it. Let him go figure it out. But, you know, they want to use my name and use, get him in there. And I, now he's so proud. And he sent me this picture. He's the editor of Success Magazine. You know, you know the history of success and so forth. And it's like, good for him. F*** it. He'll figure out things. I've made a lot of value. He'll figure it out. He got the job because of my name. They tried to use my name. I said, no, the f*** it. Who cares? Thank God my son can have that benefit. He doesn't have to go all through all the shit of decades I had to do. He gets to start and do that shit. And if it doesn't work, he'll learn. And he's doing coaching, and he's doing what he does. And, and I look at that and go, great. And it's all evolved to a point that now we have this incredibly close relationship, whereas before I was always having to correct him, and it didn't work. Some things change differently than the way your business has changed. Problems need energy to survive. Problems need energy to exist. Three of you have told me problems, and you've not told me problems, but I know them. And they're all alive because you give them more energy. It's really amazing what happens if you let go. It's the opposite of everything that made you a great wrestler, made you a great business person, made you a great servant of God. And it's not. You know what's amazing? I wake up every morning, and the sun comes up, and I didn't do it. The waves change all the time, and I didn't do it. I look outside. These birds are out there. They're living. I didn't have to feed them. Do you know how much of life goes on without you to do shit, and yet you think you have to do so much shit to make life work? We're all witnesses on this path. And if we appreciate it and we add some creativity to it, we can have an extraordinary life. But it's a delusion that you make shit happen. It's like people say, oh, I feel out of control. F*** you. You've always been out of control. You've never been controlled. control. You can't even control your own bowels. Let's be honest. <laughs> you go to Mexico, you eat the wrong food. I don't give a f*** what you think. Shit's coming out of you at all the inappropriate moments, right? Tell me you got more control than your bowels have. No, you don't. You have influence. We're all here as leaders. I invited you here. Dean invited you here. We invited you here as family because you're leaders. We love leaders. You're all leaders in different ways. It's gorgeous. Jenin's a different kind of leader. You're a different kind of leader. You're different. We're all different kinds of leaders. But we share in common something, which is we want to do good. We don't want, we want to do well, but we want to do good. That's what it takes to be a leader, to have it be more than just about you. But it also takes being a leader knowing when it's time to let go and let God. And if you don't give problems so much energy, you'll be surprised how they just dissipate because what you resist persists. And when you stop resisting, things kind of unfold. 
There is a higher purpose, but it isn't on your timeline. That's the part that's inconvenient. <laughs> We'd all like it to be on our timeline. Just something to consider. So when you think of your models or, or your beliefs, there's all these global beliefs. Those are just a taste. And you could change one or two of those and change your whole life. And then you'd think another one or two. You'd kind of retool. Hmm, I got a problem here. In order to have this problem, what do I have to believe? Am I defining this problem in really big, dramatic terms when it's not so big a deal? Maybe one of my kids is not rejecting what I believe, but they're trying to find their own identity, which is natural at this stage, and it's a stage. And they'll be guided to find what's right. A little more trust, a little more faith, a little less trying to control will often bring more freedom to you and to them, and then you'll be discovered that what you were trying so hard for, like my son's work ethic, I don't want to be fair, probably tenfold what it was when I was trying to get him to have a work ethic. It's amazing how things can change. Other beliefs are identity beliefs. Those are the core identities. If you shift your identity from, oh, I don't work out, I'm trying, I've tried so much to, f*** it, no. I'm a workout fiend or I'm a health nut or whatever the right one would be for you. Or I'm just, I'm, I'm committed. I'm a person that, I keep my word with myself on this. And you reinforce that identity. Identity is how you define yourself and that's how you make decisions. So the thermostat example I give is like, you know, it's 68 degrees in here and 68 degrees represents your comfort zone. Not your goals, listen to me. Not your goals, not your desires, your comfort zone. And we said it's 68 degrees and things in this room, start to heat up. It's not as cool as you wanted. It drops from 68 to 66, 66. about 59 degrees. What's going to happen if you have a thermostat in this room? Something's going to go, hey, it's supposed to be 68 degrees. You're a 68 degreeer financially, emotionally, spiritually, health, relationships, right? The way you live. And you're going to feel drive and the heaters kick on and drive you up. But it happens on the other side, too, which some of you experience. You think you're a 68-degree-er, and everybody else around you thinks you're a 68-degree-er, and you find a way to be more, and you go to 72, 78, 88, 92, 102, and 102. Your brain goes, hey, 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 the hell are you doing way up here? And your friends will help you with that. Now, you're not one of these. What are you, too big for your brain? What the hell? You're a 68-degree-er. And then what happens? You lose the heaters. You lose the drive. So you take your foot off the accelerator. And you start to drift, and that's not enough. Air conditioners kick in, so you can sabotage enough to get back to where your comfort zone is. Not your goals, your comfort zone. And you have a comfort zone financially, spiritually, comfort zone in relationships and intimacy, comfort zone in your connection to God. Everyone has a different one. That's part of your model of the world. Your whole world is not the world you think it is. Your whole world is a construction of your model of the world. The perceptions you've created by a set of filters, starting with what needs you're valuing and then going into your beliefs. And one of those seven beliefs besides global beliefs is your identity. And the best way to create a new identity is do shit that violates your old identity. If you make yourself do things that violate your old identity consistently enough, you'll have a new identity. So the communist Chinese in Korea would take American soldiers who were taught to give just their name and their serial number and their rank. And for a century of American history, that's worked. But the North Vietnamese who learned from the communist Chinese got people to give up things that had never been given before by American POWs. They did not do it by torture. Torture won't do it. Because then someone will break and give information, but it doesn't change their identity. They goes because they were killing me, because they were bleeding me out, because I would have died otherwise. They have a way to rationalize it. The way they did it would bring you in a room for 14, 18 hours, for two or three days. Sounds like one of my seminars, right? <laughs> what do you think I learned this shit? And what they do, they talk to you very nicely for hours and hours. And they didn't offer you anything good because if you've got a big enough incentive you can rationalize or enough pain you can rationalize. And then they wear you down gradually. What people call brainwashing, some people's brains need to be washed. They're a little dirty. And what did they do? All they did was was ask them the same question until they're so exhausted, so sleepy, so tired, and it's like, come on, you got to be honest. You're killing people in my country, and we have never been to your country here in Vietnam. We have never killed anybody in your country. And finally, the person would agree. This is the truth. And they go, and we don't have people in this country that don't have a job, because it's a communist country. Everybody has a job. And you have people that don't have jobs and are suffering. 
And after hours and hours and days of this, they'd agree and they agree and then they'd say, well, write that down. They'd write it down. And then later on, when they went back to the cell, they'd read it over the loudspeakers. And then people would come and they're knocking on the wall. Did you really say that? Well, yeah. Well, what the hell? Well, because it's true. And in that moment, their entire model of the world changed. And people got mad at them. They go, but it's true, but it's true. And then they gave up information they'd never been given before. They got them to do something. We judge ourselves by what we do, even though that's not an accurate description of your identity. Who here has done something stupid, but you're not stupid? Who's done things you hope no one will ever discover in your lifetime, right? That's called being human. But what we do is we judge ourselves by our actions. So one of the reasons I did skydiving, and then, you know, you can't take 10,000 people in the air and skydive at once, and I started using firewalking, The reason I did these physical metaphors is once you walk on fire or you jump out of an airplane and you think you can't do these things, it shifts your identity. They would definitely rewire their entire identity. They do it. I don't just show them how. But the strongest force in the human personality is stay consistent with how you define yourself. So you better be careful how you define yourself. Enhance your definition of who you are and then create a set of actions that are consistent with that person and you'll become that person. And all it takes is repetition. Third one, and I'll shut up that this is so important for all of you, is the reason I'm answering it. Everybody has a primary question. I won't go through this in depth, but what is thinking? What are you doing when you're thinking? Well, you're doing it right now because I've asked you to think. What is thinking? Thinking is nothing but answering and answering, asking and answering questions. Is that really true? When I first did that, I said, is that really true? And I thought, well, that's a question, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? That's another question, isn't it? I went through this whole thing and began to realize all thinking is is answering and asking questions, but the beliefs that you have and your identity determine which questions you ask. That and primary significant emotional events in your life. So without going through it in the depth, I can't do it here for time's sake, but everyone has a primary question. My primary question for most of my life is how could I make it better? The question is so ingrained... I was going to a class, uh, Stephen Covey, there's a time management course. Stephen's now passed away. His son now runs the company. But he wanted me to come look at this time management course because I had done all these different time management programs. And I agreed to do it. And that morning, my daughter was having, she's crying hysterically, and her boyfriend and her had this big fight and so forth. And so I had to make a choice. Do I show up on time for the time management course Or do I stay and help my daughter? And I chose to stay and help my daughter, which meant I came late for the time management course. And I wanted to sit in the back. I was just supposed to be looking in, but Stephen told the lecturer that I was going to be there, and the guy was a super fan, so he kept the front seat of the entire place waiting for me there. So I walk in 45 minutes later for the time management course, and I sit down, and then everybody sees I'm there, and then the guy starts teaching the whole class to me, like forgetting everybody else, right? Like this, I'm so uncomfortable because the guy is a really nice person, but he was a fucking terrible teacher. And so I, started, you know, I take notes all the time. So I'm taking notes and breaking eye contact, take notes, take notes, somebody will look somewhere else. And I guess I don't notice how many notes I take, but if anybody's seen one of my journals, he does. It's like, it's, it's, I, no one can read it afterwards, but kinesthetically it's in my body. I can scan it and know what the f- is overall, but I'm, I'm writing really, really fast. So people came up to me afterwards and surrounded me, so I left the course because I was disrupting the course. I didn't want to disrupt the course. But they all said to me, can I see your notebook? Everyone's like, what are you writing down? I mean, he didn't say that much, <laughs> you know, that type of thing, right? And I was super nice. I said, no, I was just taking notes on style and communication things. What I was really writing down is all the ways to make it better. So I could then go, you know, help my friend, Stephen Covey. So I'm sitting in my car during the lunch break, deciding whether I'm going to go back or not. And I was like, I was really struck by how many people specifically just come up and say hi, but they wanted to see my notes and want to know what's writing, and I guess I look like a maniac going, right, because I write very rapidly and intensely. And so I thought to myself, well, how do I take notes? And I was like, well, I'm just, I'm focused on how to make it better. It's like, you know, if I had one question I ask most often in my life, what is it? And I started thinking through it. I was like, wow, how can I make it better has been my entire freaking life. But it has its limitations. It's got all the benefits, because like, you come to seminar, I always make it better. It's like, but why is it your primary question? Why do you ask it more than anything else? Because you had a significant emotional event of so much pain or so much pleasure that it made that the primary question of your thinking. I asked myself, I ask this question all day long, all the time. When I read a newspaper, I think about how I can use this to make something better. I go to a movie, how can I use this to make it better? In a conversation with a friend, how can we can make it better? 
It's been a great gift. But how does that work when you sit down in a relationship with somebody who's insecure and you want to make them better and they don't want you to make them better? What's wrong with me? And then it became a real problem in that area. And it wasn't a problem in most of what I did because people were paying me to make it better, so it's okay. But I had to find another question to balance it. Because if I couldn't make it better, which was rare, but if I really didn't make it, I was like in survival. I asked myself the question, what if I couldn't make it better? And as I dug in, I was like, that's impossible. No, but what if it was? What if I couldn't make it? What if I'm going to make it better? Well, then I'd be crazy inside. Well, what would make it better? I might as well be dead. It was like, what the f***? And if I took each one of you through this process, which you do it with destiny with people, do it with destiny, everybody has a question like this. A question that literally drives your entire life because whatever you focus on, you feel, and those feelings then process through this entire model that we're describing. You change your primary question, you change everything. So I changed my question, so I still love to make it better, but I gave myself a second alternative when making it better isn't appropriate. Is how can I appreciate God's perfection in this moment? Which might be a useful question for someone looking at their children, looking like it may not be working. How can I appreciate, how can I appreciate even more the perfection of this moment in this situation? How can I appreciate even more God's guidance and perfection in this moment? And I kept refining it until I found a core. So now I have both questions, but I had to train myself. Now, some people's questions are things like, what's wrong with me? So they go through all the date with destiny, and then they be f***ed up a few weeks later, and I've discovered out why. Because it doesn't matter what other changes you make, if you constantly focus on what's wrong with you, you will find something. If I said, look for everything in this room that's brown, and I say, close your eyes, tell me what's green, people don't see the green. They see the brown for the most part. And they'll call beige things brown because they want to feel successful. So your primary question is a gigantic part of your life. Is your primary question, how can I prove it to people? Why don't people like me? Most primary questions have presuppositions in them. Mine was, everything has to be made better. Maybe it's perfect the way it is. Hmm. There are limitations to every question. You want to upgrade your question, you'll upgrade your life. Where you're having conflict, you have an old question running. And if you're driven crazy, where I'd be crazy, I was doing a date with destiny in Fiji in the early days. No web yet. And it was how long ago it was. And people are all flying in for this. And, you know, I have these long questionnaires. And I'm reading these questionnaires. Actually, it, was for, it wasn't for date with destiny. Yeah, it was for date with destiny. And normally date with destiny those days was five days. But when I went to Fiji... I scheduled it so it would be seven, so there'd be some room to breathe, so I could go out and see the ocean, and so it wasn't every single moment in the room. And someone on my team put the wrong dates in. I'm sitting in Fiji, and people are going to arrive in two days, and they made it four days, and normal date with Destiny is five instead of seven. And I got crazy, because I was like, call people. they got to extend the dates. We can't have this happen. And it was too late. People's flights were booked, everything else. And I got four days to do what should be a seven-day program, and I literally was like I was in survival. Because I have to make every program what? Better. How f- going to make it better when it's four f***ing days, plus they're going to miss being on the ocean and everything else, and we brought them all this way. And I was, like, I was literally just, like, veins popping on the side of my neck, just freaking out. And then I was like, okay, what's causing this? Whenever I'm that freaked out, whenever that's happening, it always comes down to my primary question. I don't see I can fulfill it. My wife, make it better. Couldn't make it better. Couldn't make it better. The whole relationship's messed up. No. So what I finally came up with is a different perception. I could f***ing have them for an hour and change their whole life. I don't even need four days. I would prefer seven days. I would prefer what I expected. We get them here for four days. Their lives will never be the f***ing same. I'm going to put them in this environment, and I'm going to do this, and I changed all the tools. And I did more in four days than I'd normally do in seven. I still got them outside in the ocean and found a way to get it done. I found a way they would make it better because they're still away. But another thing that would help me is to think perhaps this happened for a higher reason than I'm able to control or perceive. Values is the next. All values is of what you believe is most important. Do you believe it's health or do you believe it's Abundance financially, or do you believe it's love, or do you believe it's growth, or do you believe it's cheerfulness, or do you believe it's freedom, or do you believe it's security? Because in order to hit the target of your needs, you have a sight. Imagine you're an archer. You've got to sight that. The sight is your values. That's how you line it up. And so you line up those needs through those. You change those values, the order of those values, you make decisions totally differently. Then there's the rules. What does it take for you to be happy? 
Some people wake up, stand up, and see them above ground. Other people have to make $10 billion a year, and everyone has to love me. You're f***ed. Not the $10 billion, That's easy. Get everybody to love you. Try that f*** out. It didn't work for Jesus. How do you think it's going to work for you? Right? So some people's rules make it impossible to be happy. And so you have to discover which rules are outdated. You have to re-engineer your blueprint. And you can change everything and make it more fulfilling and make it more successful and make it more enjoyable. But the exciting thing is this, how, think how complex this is. That's because nobody f-ing knows it, but I've spent the last 45 years of my life on this specifically is the most important thing. And I've refined it into a system and it takes about six days to go through and you can come through it again and update it again. And some people will come three or four years later and they do it because their life's changed or the life conditions have changed. Another one is your vehicles or your virtual villains. What's your vehicle for fulfillment? For some people, it's their kids. For some people, it's their relationship. For some people, it's their business. For some people, it's money. For some people, it's contribution. What vehicle do you primarily use in your model of the world to be fulfilled? For some people, it's domination. For some people, it's success. See, whatever vehicles you use, they tell us a lot about your need structures. And, you, and a lot of times, life will take away one of your vehicles. What happens if your entire life is based on your family and your family breaks up? Or your business, and then the government shuts it down because of COVID. Makes it illegal. And you don't figure out how to flex. Well, then it feels like your whole world's ending. But here's the truth. Whatever vehicle you think is dependent to meet your needs, it's bullshit. There's multiple other vehicles. You have to be able to let go and find the new vehicle. Virtual villains? Like mine always was time. So I would have answered the same one before. I don't feel that anymore. Like... The virtual villain was like, whatever would get me really stressed, not enough time, not enough time to make it better. Combination of that two would be like the one, two, like be like kryptonite to Superman. You know, cut off the hair of, you know, <laughs> you know. Samson. Samson. That's what it was. So it's like now I've had a little better experience with it. And then there's situation-specific beliefs. You might believe something about overall, but you have a different belief about Matt. Or Matt has a different belief about that person. That's situation-specific belief. So those are the seven types of beliefs. So it shows you the breadth and depth in which you can go. And it might be worth your while to take some time to figure out what the f*** you believe. Because most of you don't even know. You're working unconsciously. You ask the first question, and it's a big question. What controls my unconscious? Here's your answer. It's not real simple. I can teach you basic conditioning, but which thing to condition requires you maybe have a little deeper understanding. And then, by the way, the third part of the mind is what fuel you use. So if I want to go from here to my target, well, a map is only valuable if I know where I want to go. True? It's worthless if you don't want to go. It's also worthless if, you don't, if you're not honest about where you are. If I know where I want to go but I lie about where I am, of course I'm gonna, it's not going to get me there. So I've got to be able to do both those things. But then I also need the right fuel. Some fuel is so weak, it'll never get me there. Even though the map, the map is those belief systems. The target is my needs. The map on how to get there, my belief systems guide that. The rules, the values, the beliefs. But the fuel is the emotion that I live with most dominant in my life. So if you don't have enough combustion, you're not going to go anywhere. If you have too much combustion, you're going to blow up. If I want to drive a dragster at a high speed, I need some pretty strong emotional fuel. If I want to survive through life, maybe it's a different kind of fuel. So different emotions have different combustibility. So how much passion do you have versus comfort? And that's some of the things that some of you are looking for. And I know some of you in your questions are asking questions. I can see they're driven by, you've been working so hard, and so now you're looking for comfort. And then you'll get comfort, and you'll go, what the f- happened to my life? And so that's where this beautiful, it's not balance, it's like work-life balance. What the f- is that? Tell me any successful person has work-life balance. It's absurd. Work-life integration, that's different, right, Jen? <laughs> she understands. She's one of the few people I know that understands. Not because she tells me, because I watch it with her. And by the way, in her life, and her relationship works really well. Her husband wants to be the stay-home dad. She wants to be there, too. She wants to do the business side. That works because both their blueprints match their life conditions. If he wanted to be the business superstar... Their relationship would not work. See, now you get really what's interesting. Now you combine with another human being was a different blueprint. And in the beginning, it's all chemistry, so everything works. And then you start finding out you have these different beliefs. And so how to navigate those is how I think a relationship was makes you grow spiritually more than anything else. Anyone can go in a corner and meditate in a cave. Can you do that when you're in a relationship with someone else? And then you have challenges like 
you've had some dream or goal that was driving you like crazy for a decade or two. And then you have that thing where you declare victory or you take the victory. And then like, what do I do? And then you don't know each other because you only knew each other in that context. Or you had kids and your focus, focus was on the kids. And now they grow up and you're just alone together. And you're like, who the f- are you? I've been through that stage. So life is incredibly complex. Aren't you glad I came by for this wonderful experience? But it's also, what the hell else? It's the most beautiful experience in life that you can wake up and consciously decide what's going on in your life and what you're going to do. But it requires some time. So that's just the mind. I can do the same thing on the body and the same thing in spirit, but I think we've gone a little deep on this one. Is that helpful at all? And what question would you have off of that? So helpful. No, I don't, I don't have a follow-up question. I'm excited for me to re- I remember Dave Destin first time went 12 years ago talking about primary question and I can't remember what mine was back then and they just kind of re gets me excited to re-figure it out and re-go through them and re-try to remember them all and then from there navigate all the things. I'll give you all a gift if you want to go to date with Destiny you can't do it in here because that's a limited number of people but if you want to go in December you let us know and you'll come as my guest because I'm trying to give you so much it would take six days to do, but if you want to go or come back you're welcome to come. And I'll tell all what of you, you've it's, done. it's not something that costs you that many days. It buys you back a life. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. More than I can even explain to you from the outside. I have the relationship with my wife that I do in, in part because of Date with Destiny. Pretty cool that I get to, you know, pick your brain directly. But uh, <laughs> Date with Destiny is amazing. I would, I'd commit to it and go. Russell Brunson, everybody. 